0: UZAC, pre-service. And on the sides as well, we need that John Sawyer. (laughs) Pre-service. Just hit pre-service. Nope, that's center one. We need pre-service. We need the the stuff going on the sides that is not center one. It should be a bunch of announcements. There you go. Cycling through that. Is it? Maybe it's that machine. Yeah, maybe it's that one. We need to turn the.
1: Shaking your faithful still These temporary trials (laughs)
2: Thank <laughs>
3: You got a
0: is that you say, if I'm not dead, God's not done. Say it. if I'm not dead, God's not done. If I'm not dead,
4: yeah, that's so true. We got a lot to work to do, okay?
0: gives that back to us too but at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up so i want to tell you that and you feel like today this is the day you come in you're like no nope, i'm giving up today god is telling you don't I want these words to be a part of that because jesus christ is going to be there every step of the way Do you guys believe those words i hope so and if you haven't believed it before say god i want to believe those words i want to believe those words today don't give up
3: Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I've tried to stand and stop to look far. All those lonely roads that I've traveled There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground
5: There were nowhere to be found. I couldn't see there, but I can see you
3: it. ¿Quién es ser? El... There was Jesus In the shadows of the eyes.
0: for all of the relationships that are represented in this place and brokenness and hurting. God, I ask that you will be with each of them. God, I ask that you will show them that that you are there at every step of the way, that Jesus Christ is a part of that relationship because they have given themselves to you. God, thank you so much for every person here in this relationship that they have with you. Father, let that be the most important one so that when they look at the other ones, they act the way Jesus wants them to act. Thank you for teaching us how to stand firm. Thank you for perseverance. In Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat?
4: promise to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her until death do us part. Been doing this sermon series on marriage. We've gone back and revisited these vows from from our wedding day. Most of us said these words, right? And we looked at that love word. We We talked last week about this honor word. We called it respect. It's a similar word, same word. This week we're going to talk about this keep one. This idea of perseverance until death do us part. And there's been a theme this morning, a common theme. We're speaking of death. It's a little bit dark, right? What do you think people are going to say about you at your funeral? What are the things that that people are going to say about you after you have passed? It's kind of a dark question but it's a valuable question to ask. Now, since I'm a pastor, I've been to more funerals than most people, and because I'm a pastor, I've been given the responsibility, the honor of helping lead families as they prepare funeral services. I've had the privilege to sit down with families who are grieving, who've lost someone that they love, and I get the opportunity to see behind the scenes I get to see how a family processes the death of a loved one. I get to see the ways in which they work through what it is that, that they want to say and what they want to be said about their loved one. And I've been in some interesting funerals. In 2020, as COVID was starting to fade towards the end of the year, I got a call from a funeral home asking me if I would do a funeral for a man who had killed someone else and then killed himself. It was a murder-suicide. He was on the verge of getting a divorce with his wife. His wife had a boyfriend. He had a girlfriend. For whatever reason, he snapped. And he went and he found his wife's boyfriend, and he killed him, and then he killed himself. I sat with his wife as we had to work to plan the funeral of what was supposed to be her soon-to-be ex-husband. And I went to his funeral, and I packed myself into a room as COVID was still something that we were all scared of. There was no standing room left. It was a room full of people who loved him. They really loved him. They really did. They were absolutely shocked by what he had done. They were deeply wounded by his actions, and they had nice things to say about him. This man who had killed someone and then killed himself, they had really nice things to say about him. A couple months later, I I did a funeral for a man who was a lifelong drug abuser. There aren't many nice things that I can say about him, and it's not because I'm judgmental. It's because as I sat down with his family, they didn't have very many nice things to say about him. I sat down with his ex-wife, and I sat down with his two daughters trying to help them plan his funeral, and they had no ill will towards him. They they weren't hateful. They didn't dislike their father. The ex-wife didn't really even dislike the ex-husband. But they struggled with anything nice, anything good to say about him. And at his funeral, the room was packed full of people who through great difficulty found ways to say something nice. It was pretty shallow stuff. They repeated simple nice things about him. I've seen this scenario play out many different times. And it causes me to ask this question, what's the difference between a person whose life is celebrated, someone who has a joyous celebration of life, and someone someone who we have to strain to find good things to say about them? What's the difference? How did they live that was so different? What is it that sets these two people apart? The one who's easily celebrated, the one who has nice things said about them, but it feels so shallow. What's the difference? I think our world would try to answer this question in several different ways. Obviously, at some point, someone's going to talk about money, right? Maybe money's the difference. People who are well-off, they tend to impress more people. They live a better life. They seem to get along better, right? More people like them. At least that's what we think. And yet, we know that more money doesn't necessarily mean better life. In fact, sometimes more money means more problems. Sometimes... Sometimes it seems like people with more money have had more problems. They have pains and struggles just like any other person. Sometimes they've caused those problems. Sometimes they haven't. I don't think money is the great equalizer we sometimes give it the credit of being. Maybe what makes life better is actually good relationships. And it seems, it seems like people who love really well tend to be loved well. But sometimes, and I've seen this play out, sometimes families that seem to be good or healthy or full of love are actually something, something very different. They've defined love or real love incorrectly. And sometimes within families, there's a dysfunction that exists. And we've called it love, but really it's more of a permissive attitude or, or an attitude of promoting things that are unhealthy in a family, things like abuses or manipulations or addictions. And it gets passed down generation after generation. A great life is measured by more than just good relationships. We're at church and it's Sunday morning and you're listening to a preacher, so surely the answer is Jesus, right? It is. Jesus is the difference. I'll tell you that the best funerals that I've ever been to have been for those who are Jesus followers, and I know that's a really weird idea to think about a good funeral, right? But it's true. At the end of a life, having hope is so incredibly valuable it changes the dynamics of a funeral, But, but I've also seen people who were great Jesus followers who had a significant burden in their funeral. I've seen people who had Jesus enter their life late and there was consequences and regrets and pains from their previous part of their life. I've seen people who loved Jesus for much of their life but maybe walked away late and there was an emptiness and a hollowness in their services. They had Jesus but there were still these signs of great dysfunction celebration, but there was also this lingering sorrow. Is there something more to it than just simply saying Jesus? Do the best lives have a secret to them that goes beyond simply knowing Jesus? What if it is perseverance? Perseverance? I've seen people who've persevered through life with or without money, and that doesn't tell their whole story. I've seen people who've persevered through life with or without good relationships, and that doesn't tell their whole story. But I've seen people who persevere through life with Jesus, and their funerals are always the best. And I know that sounds weird, right? But it's not just the people who loved Jesus. It's the people who persevered with Jesus. It tells a fuller story for the people who are the most celebrated at the end of their life. It's not those who have a general acquaintance with Jesus. It's the people who persevered in life with Jesus. Let me show you what a great life looks like today. Let me show you about the kind of life that you would want others to celebrate at the end of your life. And because this is in the context of a marriage series, I'm going to show you how this makes all of your relationships better. It's true with your relationship with God. It's going to be true about your relationship with your spouse. It's going to be true with any other relationship that you want to apply this to. This act of perseverance is the best way to live. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says this. says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance Character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. I want to make the case to you today that righteousness or true holiness, which, like, those are big churchy words, righteousness, holiness, really all they mean is that you're trying to be in a right relationship with God, okay? Righteousness and holiness are proven over time in our perseverance. They're not one quick action and it's there. It's a thing that's proven over time. Righteousness is proven in your perseverance through struggles. Perseverance only counts when it's hard. Perseverance doesn't exist absent of struggles, right? Righteousness is only proven when we persevere through what is hard. And according to Paul here in Romans chapter 5, he says suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character suffering gives us an opportunity for perseverance and nobody wants it nobody wants to be someone known for their perseverance because it means that they had to endure suffering right when suffering comes into our life we aren't excited but but when we get through it that's perseverance right and don't confuse righteousness, this righteousness that we're talking about, this right relationship with God. Don't, don't confuse it with a spiritual or, I'm sorry, a superficial righteousness. There's these moments of just simply being nice. Everyone does them every single day. It doesn't mean that you're a righteous person. It just means that you're human. It doesn't mean that you're in a great relationship with God. When you let someone get into your lane in traffic, that's just general niceness. That's not an act of God, all right? When you, when you hold a door open for someone, that's nice. When you feel compelled to give to someone, that's, that's kind. They're all nice things, right? And those are the kinds of things that people will reach for when they're desperate at a funeral of someone that they love who maybe wasn't so great. We can find examples in absolutely everybody of how they can be nice. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a righteousness that God seeks, a holiness that God seeks, a right relationship with God that he seeks And it's a persevering righteousness. It's a commitment to continue making the right decision even when you feel pulled in the opposite direction. Holiness is far more than an inclination toward occasional acts of kindness or charity. It's a commitment to persistently, consistently surrender to God. It's not occasionally being nice. It's not occasionally being good. Consistently, persistently surrendering to God with your life. And because marriage is such a long journey, it's the perfect gymnasium for us to practice perseverance. I hope this makes you laugh a little bit. Suffering gives us an opportunity for perseverance. Marriage gives us an opportunity for perseverance. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? We've been using this language from Doc. He says marriage is the gymnasium of the soul. Marriage is that perfect gymnasium for us to practice perseverance. And I hope you can appreciate a long term perspective of this. If you look back in history, the uniqueness of our time and place in the world right now. If you look back 100 years ago, 100 years ago, the average life expectancy was much lower than it is today. 100 years ago, men would typically marry while being a little bit older. A hundred years ago, it was much more common that when a child was old enough to leave the home, their father had already passed. It was very normal, very regular. We now live in a different kind of day and age, don't we? At one point in history, a marriage that had lasted 20 years was something pretty significant. Nowadays, it's not uncommon to see someone who's been married 50, 60, even 70 years Our former president, Jimmy Carter, and his wife, Rosalind are closing in on 80 years of marriage. 80 years. Do you suppose that they've had to persevere through anything? (laughs) Do you suppose that they've had any sort of struggles or sufferings over that time? Do you suppose that perseverance means something significant when we're talking about potentially 80 years together as opposed to 20 years together? And why would we want to even persevere? Why would we possibly even want that? Who desires perseverance? It's not something that we would hope for. It sounds hard. But according to Paul, according to Paul, he says that perseverance produces character. According to Paul, perseverance pays off. There's a recent news article saying that Gen Z is largely uninterested in monogamous relationships. When we talk about marriage, we're doing a marriage series, the assumption as we're talking about this is this till death do us part type of a relationship. Gen Z, this younger generation, generally speaking, not true for all of them, but, but for many of them, are uninterested in that kind of a relationship. Is it fair to suggest that they are also uninterested in perseverance? Years ago, there was a guy named Jimmy V, Jimmy Valvano. Some of you will know his name. He was a coach in college basketball. He won a national championship with North Carolina State. He developed uh, cancer and he started a foundation called the Jimmy V Foundation. It's something that still pops up on ESPN every single year. In fact, it's about that time of year. You're probably familiar with him. Uh, Just before he died, he was given an award at the ESPYs and he stood up in front of uh, everyone and he gave an acceptance speech that still gets replayed all the time. Very motivational, very powerful, still gives chills. His most famous quote out of that is he looks to the, to the crowd and he says, don't give up. Don't ever give up. You guys seen those words before? He probably took them from Winston Churchill who gave a similar speech during World War II. It's used all the time. In his speech, he also said this. He, he said that he, he knew he was going to die from cancer. He knew his fate. But he hoped for a future in which cancer doesn't win. That was his dream. That was his hope. He hoped that his girls could live in a different world, and they do. Cancer, though not completely beaten, is in a very different place today than it was 30 years ago. There's an athlete named Usain Bolt. Famous guy, most of you probably know his name. He was from Jamaica. He competed in the Olympics, one of the most decorated Olympians in all of history. Tons and tons of records and medals, very, very successful. And he has this great quote. I love this. He says, I worked four whole years to run nine seconds. Worked four years to run nine seconds. His most famous race was his 100 meter dash. He did it under 10 seconds. In fact, it was just barely over nine seconds. Set all sorts of world records. And it's not completely true. He didn't only work four years. He worked much longer than that. He owned his craft, he learned his technique, he worked through preparing his body to be able to do the things that he did. It took a significant amount of perseverance and it paid off in time. For the Jesus follower, our perseverance pays off in our character and in our heavenly rewards, our suffering, produces perseverance. Our perseverance produces character. And then Paul says our character produces hope. It's not just about producing character and making us become better versions of ourselves. It's not just about going to the gymnasium every day like what Usain Bolt would do or like Jimmy Valvano would do with his treatments for his cancer. It's about the hope that motivates us. It's the idea of beating cancer. It's the idea of the gold medal. It's the idea of making it to heaven. And it goes back to that Galatians 6, 9 patches that Steve read for us just a moment ago. It says, let us not become weary. Don't get tired. Don't grow old with the idea of doing good. Because at the proper time, we're going to see it pay off. It's going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. What is it that gives us the power to persist? It's a vision of heaven. Persistence doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless we live with a keen sense of eternity and a keen awareness of of eternity with God? Christian endurance is based on the idea that there is another life and it's eternal and that this world is a preparation for the next, that the next life is so great that it's worth making those sacrifices now. So which world have you centered your life around? If we have an eternal outlook, if we're preparing for eternity, then it makes sense to stick through hard times in a marriage. Does that make sense to you? Being faithful in marriage is an act of faithfulness to God. If we're focused on eternity, if we're focused on being faithful to our God, it makes way more sense to stick out a marriage than destroying a family to gain quick and easy relief. When life gets hard, when we face struggles and we just give up on our marriage, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we view our world today as a training ground for the next when we view our struggles and the pains of this world as preparing us for the next, that they're creating in us an ability to persevere and that's creating in us an improved character, that's creating in us an ability to be prepared for this next world. And there's lots of things that are working against us. There's lots of things that pull and tug at a marriage, try to rip it apart. Lots of ways that struggles and sufferings work their way in. It's a guy named Gary Thomas who wrote a book called Sacred Marriage that Doc and I are using for the sake of this sermon series. And he references the four soils that we find in Luke chapter 8. It's a parable that Jesus teaches. And Gary Thomas says that the same things that eat away at our relationship with Jesus are the same things that undercut our marriage. (laughs) Jesus says that there's a story of a farmer. He goes out into his field and he scatters seed out into the field and it lands wherever it lands. It lands in different kinds of places. Some of them land in the right place to be able to grow and and create a harvest, and some of them land in other places. Some of the seeds land down in between the rocks. Think about the sidewalk in front of your house or your driveway. It's a place where you'll see some occasional weed or grass. Something will pop up, and you wonder how it's there. You, You might even ask how it's possibly living there, right? And it doesn't for very long, It can't, it can't take deep roots. Jesus says that that some seeds land in places like that, and he says that a time of testing comes. He Jesus says that the sun comes out and it bakes this little startup of growth and it doesn't have the roots to be able to sustain life. Testing comes and burns it out. There's marriages like that, aren't there? There's people who get into marriage thinking that it's going to be easy. But when it gets harder, some people bail. They quit, they give up because they have no roots. Jesus said sometimes the seed uh, falls in among the weeds. It lands in this place where it could grow, but it's uncared for, it's unkept. The weeds just overgrow on top of it. And the seed would like to grow. It has the right soil, it has everything in place to be healthy, except that it's just overrun, Uh, Jesus' language, is by the concerns of life around it. It's choked out by life's worries. Does that sound like some marriages to you? Most marriage counselors would tell you that the number one reason why marriages fail is money. I would challenge that. I think that may be the the thing that's blamed. I think that may be the excuse, but I think there's probably deeper issues. I think money is that weed that kind of grows up above ground, but at the root there's something else. There's selfishness or sin, even if it's the sin of selfishness. It's the worries of life. The concerns of life can just constrict a marriage and choke it out. There's all sorts of struggles that cause us to quit. There's all sorts of struggles that choke out our perseverance. There's lots of reasons why marriages fall apart. So why would we not give up? What is it that motivates us to persist? What is it that motivates us to persist specifically through a marriage? What is it that motivates us to not give up in any of our relationships? What is it that motivates us to stay true to our commitment to Jesus? The holiness that righteousness that's going to be rewarded in heaven is a persevering holiness, a persevering righteousness. The best lives that we celebrate, the best funerals, are for the lives that have persevered with Jesus. A life that perseveres works. It's good now and it's good for eternity. Did you know, studies have, have studied married couples and those who've divorced, and they've found that the couples who have persevered in marriage are the ones who feel most fulfilled that escaping out of a marriage hasn't left people feeling happier or better, but actually the ones who have persevered are experiencing more fulfillment. Do you know that in the Bible there are zero examples of a crown in heaven that goes to the person who had the happiest life on earth? It doesn't exist. And that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to be happy. At least that's not our first goal. Our, Our first goal is to be holy. There's no ribbon for the Christian who felt the least amount of pain doesn't exist. Our job in this world, our goal in this world is not to avoid any sort of pain or suffering or struggles. It's not our first goal, and it's not even realistic, is it? It's not going to happen. Our goal is to persevere. Happiness shows up best. This is interesting to me. When we pursue happiness, we can't ever seem to grab it, but when we persevere through everything that's going on, happiness just kind of tends to show up. It shows up best when it's a side effect of a life that's well-lived. It's not the ultimate goal. Commitment to your marriage teaches us to be persistent in doing good, even when we want to do something else. This commitment to perseverance teaches us the basic Christian discipline of self-denial. When we have proper perspective, when we see that heaven is a part of the equation, it shifts everything else in me suffering produces perseverance produces per- ah, perseverance produces character character produces hope and when our focus shifts to our hope when my focus is set towards the promise of eternity with my god the cost of hatred becomes too high when my focus is on eternity with my god the cost of anger becomes too high the cost of divorce becomes too high. The cost of sin becomes too high. When my focus shifts to my hope, I'm not going to quit on my marriage or my children or my friends or my pursuit of Jesus. I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to let the struggles or the sufferings of this world choke me out and pull me away. I'm going to persist through them because I have a heavenly goal. I have a beautiful hope. I have a picture of something that's bigger than me. It gives me a heart to persist through the things that I face in this world. Now, what does it look like to actually persist? This past week, as I was working on this message, we had a a call that we do with our preaching partner, Randy. And Randy said that if you want to understand persistence, you should look at old people. Now, you should know that Randy is old, all right? This isn't, for, for a moment, this isn't going to be Ben preaching because I'm afraid of what you might do to me, okay? But, Randy says, says if you want to understand persistence, you should look at old people. And he says that old people have forgotten a lot of stuff. If you want to have a good, healthy marriage that perseveres, there's going to be some things that you have to forget, aren't there? There's some things that you need to forget, things that aren't helpful to remember. Randy says that old people remember the good times, though. They don't forget everything. They remember the good times. Have you ever noticed how old people tell you the same stories over and over and over again? It's because it's their favorite story, right? And they love it and they celebrate it. You know what the best marriages tell the same stories over and over and over again? It looks like if you want to have a, a good marriage that perseveres, it looks like a marriage that remembers the best parts and celebrates them regularly, keeps bringing them up. Randy says old people are slow. Don't forget, he's old, okay? This isn't me. He says old people are slow, and if you want to have a good marriage that perseveres, you need to be slow to anger. You need to be slow to anger. You need to be slow to speak. That's biblical wisdom, practical biblical wisdom. That's the kind of stuff that would make your marriage better, wouldn't it? Randy says old people talk about everything, even things that don't matter. You want to have a good marriage that perseveres. Communication is key, isn't it? You got to talk about stuff with each other, everything, even the stuff that seems like it doesn't matter. You talk about all of it. Randy says old people show up. And I love seeing old marriages where you can see the faithfulness of showing up every single day. If you want a good marriage that perseveres, it means that you show up every single day. Guys, I want you to know that God doesn't want you to be happy as much as he wants you to be holy. He wants you to be happy, but it's secondary. Perseverance and faithfulness, they're deeply connected. Your faithfulness to God will be measured by your willingness to persevere through life. You can't love God if you don't love your brother. That's Jesus' language. How can you be faithful to God if you are not faithful to your wife? If you aren't faithful to your marriage, you aren't faithful to God, and you cannot be faithful without perseverance. Your faithfulness to your spouse will be measured by your ability to persevere through this life. It's about overcoming your feelings. Perseverance means that your feelings don't take center stage, they don't run you. Perseverance means that you acknowledge the pain and the struggle and the difficulty, and you press forward anyway. Perseverance requires you to get over your feelings. It's about doing what's right. It's about a choice to do what's right every single day. This guy named Jimmy Vavano, right? He had a grand dream of a world that would one day no longer be hurt by cancer, and it became his daily fight even when he didn't feel like it. And Usain Bolt had a grand dream to be an Olympian, and it required him to persevere in putting the work in every day even when he didn't feel like it. Husbands, husbands, do you want to have a good marriage? Do you have a grand dream of what you want your marriage to be? Do you have a picture of what it looks like in your head? On those days when you just don't feel like being nice anymore. Those are the days that we remember our grand dream. And we persevere. It's going to require you to be nice today. Wives, do you want to have a good marriage? Do you have a grand dream of what you want your marriage to be? Do you have a picture of what that looks like in your head? Wives, does he ever test your patience? Perseverance requires you to be patient with him today. And I can promise you, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, the best lives, the ones that are celebrated the most are the ones that have persevered. The best funerals that I've ever been to have been the ones where we talked about the perseverance of the person we loved, the way in which they maintained who they were through their life, the way in which they were faithful to who they were in Jesus. The best funerals I've ever been to have been a celebration of Jesus' work and the person's perseverance in pursuit of Jesus. Those are always the best. And maybe there's some of you in the room who are hearing this and you feel like it's already too late. You already live in the consequences of the past in your life that you'll never escape. That word divorce is already part of your story. You lost half of your life in a relationship without God. You look back and you see a long string of broken relationships with spouses, children, parents, whatever else it may be. If you're hearing this today, and your life hasn't been a story of perseverance, you serve no one, least of all God, by becoming fixated on something that you can't now undo. That is exactly what forgiveness and grace are for. A fresh start and a new beginning. God offers grace precisely for the reason that he wants to forgive us. He's eager to forgive us so we can start afresh and live a new, meaningful life in service to him. From this point on, can you live a life of perseverance? Can you begin persevering even today? Could, day one, could today be day one of going to this gymnasium to begin working on your perseverance, working on your character, developing this holy character that God wants to work in you. And then can you in your marriages and other relationships, whether that's with a child, a parent, or a friend, can can you pray these verses over your relationship? If you would highlight these, write these down, make these central, I would encourage you to pray these with your spouse, with your kids, whoever it may be. I think these are so powerful. James chapter one, verse four. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. Can you work toward maturity? Can you be complete, not lacking anything? Can you let God continue this work in you, you individually, you with your spouse, this work of perseverance, turning us into a mature and complete follower of him? I love this one too Second Thessalonians 3.5 may the Lord direct your hearts into, Christ, into God's love and perseverance what would happen if you prayed these things over your marriage what would happen if you prayed these things over your relationships in fact let's do that now our God we are grateful for your patience with us God, you are so long-suffering with us. God, we can't even begin to fathom our perseverance in pursuit of you without recognizing your perseverance in pursuit of us. You have not quit. And for that, we celebrate. God, as we look into ourselves and as we look at the relationships around us, God, could you create a heart in us that desires to persevere, that wants to maintain and uphold? that wants to stick out for your good and your glory? God, can you put within us a a courage, courage, God, to overcome all the things that try to choke it out? And God, as we have prayed before, I pray that this church, Cap City, would be a beacon in this community, in this state, in this world, of what happens when couples decide to persevere. Decide to honor you with their marriages. And God, I pray for that blessing as it gets passed down generation to generation. God, help us to love you by loving those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: How I long to breathe the air. For pain is gold nurse is the streets to Delo- We join the resurrection must we'll stand beside the heroes of the faith With one voice, a thousand generations sing so worthy is the Lamb who was slain All of that, all together And on that
0: Our suffering. I want to pray for those people who, who are standing firm in the faith, in their marriages, in their relationships, and it's just not working. That they will still remain strong. Their connection with you will still remain strong. Because it's so hard to try hard when the other person is not willing to do so. God, I hope that you will show us what forgiveness looks like show us what grace looks like in every relationship because I know I've been there, I've struggled and you keep showing me over and over again that there's a better way it's the way of Jesus Christ let me look like him, sound like him be like him, it's in his name we pray amen as we go to the tables today we're going to be reminded of these things about persevering in difficult times about not giving up just like Jesus Christ and when you go to the tables, you get a chance to remember what he has done and how he acted. And you'll be able to take the, uh, the bread and the juice with a, a heart that is just open to whatever it is that he can do, whatever he will do, as long as you submit to him. So if you have more questions about that later on, we'd love to talk to you about why we're doing communion. This is a memorial service for him. If this church is your home and you want to give an offering, we have those these boxes. And we also do a thing called generous bucket outside of your offering. You want to give a little extra when you go to the tables I want you to remember another thing your life will end at some point it's pretty sad no it's not sad at all because the thing is is that when it ends there's gonna be a lot of people who will be able to say a lot of terrible things about you they say a lot of terrible things about me even now but the thing is is when it's over when everything is over they're gonna be able to know that I was God's man in every circumstance. And I want you to be able to say the same thing about you. Will you be God's woman? Will you be God's man? So go to the tables, keeping that in mind. What are they going to say about you at your funeral?
4: Todd and Kim Beers, their son, Grayson and Parker. You've probably seen Kim on stage. Uh, they're a great family. They've been coming for a while. They're ready to, to say that they're all in on this and want to be a part of that family, and that's really cool. So I want you guys welcome them. They've been, they've been part of our family for a long time. They're new to this location, all right? And so we're going to celebrate that. They're going to repeat a confession that they've made before. i ask you guys to just repeat this after me, all right? I believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God, and my personal Lord and Savior. Savior. Fantastic. Thanks, guys,
6: for joining. Good
7: morning, Cap City.
6: We normally don't get applause climbing up. That's that's pretty cool. I like that, too. You
7: want
6: to do it again? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This is cool. All right.
7: For those of us that do not know me, my name is Alethea Hamilton. I'm the communications director here at Cap City, and this is my little brother. He doesn't look it.
6: Apparently I don't get a name. It just says Alethea ha- Alethe Hamilton and her brother.
7: That's the way it is. I don't know about you, but a lot of people in the church ask me, what was it like being Doc's kids growing up?
6: Oh, it was, uh, it was interesting. I have lots of memories, Uh, the side splitter, the belly ripper. I can remember being drugged down multiple flights of stairs.
7: Multiple times.
6: Several times. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Despite the bumps and the bruises that come along the way, I think mom and dad did a really good job of showing us that they loved us and that they supported us equally, correct?
6: They loved us a lot. It was tough love, but they loved us both.
7: It was. And so I, as the older sister, felt it was my job to show you your place in the family.
6: You all have no idea.
7: I'm a Patterson.
6: Through and through. Let me, let me explain some of the things that I had to persevere through. This is a great sermon for me to be doing this because I have persevered, let me tell you. She has been buying me gifts for years. You know, I was like, oh, she buys her brother gifts. No, like, no, no. They no, come no, from the heart. No. They're... Everything that has to do with her trying to put me in my place. So there's sweatshirts that say, the least favorite child. During COVID, I had a mask that said least favorite. I've gotten a rock with least favorite painted on it. I got, got you a bobblehead that looks like you. Okay, it's very nice. I open the box. It's me. It looks just like me in a little astronaut suit. I'm like, oh. People walk up to my desk at work, and they go, oh. And then they read the inscription at the bottom where it says, the least favorite one. And they go, oh. Huh. My favorite, this is true. When she worked at a law office, she modified our parents' will. So that in the will it says, to Alethe Hamilton, our favorite child. That's
7: right. I get the last word.
6: She's She thinks she's gonna have the last word. So I have devised a plan and I told it to her because there's really nothing she can do about it, I don't think. So I told her the other day, that if she dies first, I'm going to inscribe the least favorite child on her tombstone. But. I'm not even going to clarify that it's like the child of Steven and Julie Pattison. I'm just going to say the least favorite Pattison. And people are just going to think everywhere, of all Pattisons everywhere, she's the least favorite.
7: But I beat you to the punch. Because, you see, as the communications director at Capital City, I not only get the microphone, but I get your computers and social media, emails, everything. So I created this for you.
6: She's a spreader of vile lies and a thief now. Forever this will be out there on the web. All right, so I'm going to need time to uh, come up with a new plan, so we're just going to move on to some announcements so I have time to think about things. Uh, First, men's breakfast. The last Saturday of this month, starting at 7.30, we'll end at 9. We have a men's breakfast here. Tommy Johnson leaves that. It's a a great opportunity for men to come together, enjoy some good food and some good fellowship as we grow together as men in Christ.
7: Also, today, after both services, so directly after this service, or if you want to stay for adult Bible fellowship classes upstairs and go afterwards, we have Getting Started 201 in the Connections Room. Get together with Ben. Maybe you've been coming here for a couple weeks, or maybe you've been coming here for a couple years, and this sounds like a great place to be part of a church family, but it doesn't feel like home. Let Ben help you get connected and become part of the Cap City fam.
6: And lastly, uh, after second service today, starting at about 12.15, we have our annual Thanksgiving family potluck lunch downstairs. Um, it's, a, it's really good food, really good time to socialize and just enjoy each other's company and fellowship. Even if
7: you didn't bring anything.
6: Yes, so this is normally where we would tell everybody to just go away. I'm going to tell you to go away and then come back. Or you can just hang out here, one way or the other.
7: Either way, go away now.